So uh, I'm starting a new series with uh, our church, and we're calling it uh, the, the Love Walk. And in honor of the month of February uh, being kind of the month of love, right? Uh, and it's always interesting because the world has an idea of what love looks like. And I just even uh, got a chance to teach to our youth on Thursday night. And the world has a completely different idea of love than the church does, right? We can all, all of us, uh, you know, can honestly say that the world really has a skewed and sometimes even demented view of love. And it, when they, we think of love and when we think of even Valentine's Day, uh, you know, we think of romance. And really romance is just this kind of tiny little piece of it. I mean, it is there. And for those of us who are married, uh, I pray that romance is very much alive in your marriage. But that's not the all-encompassing uh, you know, description of what love is. And, and I want to talk about that. In fact, for the whole month of February, we're going to, as a church, we're going to dive into what, is, what does love mean and, and, and what does it mean to even walk in that love, not just to say that we, we have love or not just to say that we believe in, in the love of Jesus, but, but to go and act like it. And that's what we're going to kind of, of, you know, look at today. Um, I don't know how many of you are aware of this or know this, but I've, as I've kind of grown up in church but I've just seen some very sad, sad statistics. And the sad statistic is, is that people are leaving the church in droves. And that's just the truth. Now, here's the thing. I'm not detoured by those statistics. Because I believe, and I truly, truly, honestly believe this, and this is kind of what I want to convey today. I believe that if the church... Uh, if we allow people to experience God's presence, if we, if we allow him to experience, uh, people to experience God's power, and especially if people experience God's love, they will come in droves. Amen? I believe that. I don't believe that the church is outdated. I don't. I don't believe that the church is passe. I don't believe that the church is you know, something that, yeah, that was something that we did, you know, way back then, and that was great, and somehow it's becoming out of culture. I don't believe that. Because I believe that the church, first of all, isn't just a building, that it's people, right? We are the church, right? We are the stones, the brick and mortar. We're it, that wherever you are, that it says that whenever two or three are gathered in my name, so I am there, that when, wherever we're at, whether it's on a Sunday morning or whether it's at a Bible study in someone's home or whether there's two of you in a Starbucks ministering to somebody, that's church and that's church happening. But I am not giving up on God's church. There's something that I am passionate about and I, I'll be very honest with you, there's times that sometimes I wonder, did I get into the wrong business? Man, this is not a very lucrative one, right? Kind of gone are the days of, of, you know, really the big, you know, huge churches and big pastors and, and you know, stuff, stuff like that. I mean, even in our denomination, it's, we're, we're getting rattled too by this world. But I believe in God's church, right? Because what? The kingdom of hell will not prevail against it. And I believe that as long as we continue to gather together, as long as we continue to encourage each other, as long as we continue to worship God and invite his presence in, I believe God's church will prevail. Amen? 
Well, how, how do we do that? What does that look like, right? What does that look like? And I believe, you guys, we have to walk in love. And it's not easy. It really, really isn't easy. So we're, we're, we're going to be talking about the love walk this month. But what does it mean to walk in love? What does that look like? And what does Jesus have to say on the subject? Well, the first scripture that we're going to look at is John 13, 34. Jesus says that he has this new commandment, which to be honest with you, if you really think about it, it's not absolutely new, but he's kind of, he's kind of wanting to really drill it into them. He says this, he says, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You see where he's going with this? Remember, Jesus left his disciples. He says, now I go and I sit at the right hand of the Father. He kind of leaves it up to us. And of course, he says, I'm not going to leave you orphaned. I'm not going to abandon you. I am giving you the Holy Spirit, right, as the comforter, the helper. So you're not alone. My spirit is with you. But I want you to go out there and love. Not just love, right? Not, not just in the definition that the world says, you know, to love. He says, love as I have loved you, right? That kind of love. Whoa. Let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I have it up on the screens, and I'll be reading it from the New Living Translation, but but Jesus kind of explains this. He gets a little deeper, and what I love is he even paints a picture for us. He says this. He says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? Now, I want to just pause there for a second. I love the fact that Jesus never throws away the Old Testament. I love that. In fact, he, he almost amplifies it. He almost makes it more beautiful than, than we perceive it, right? We have the tendency to look at the Old Testament and it looks very black and white. In fact, I've even heard Christians, friends of mine, who say, I stay away from the Old Testament. I don't even read the Old Testament. It's depressing. Right? You guys are laughing. It's a little depressing, right? But you notice Jesus, he quotes it all the time. But he almost does it in such a way where you go, wow, that's beautiful, right? That it's, we must understand that Jesus did not come to completely throw away the Old Testament. He came to build on it. He came to make it more beautiful. He came to amplify it for us so that we would understand it better. So that it doesn't look black and white. If anything, it looks Beautiful. It looks full of color. It looks full of life. He says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. By the way, this man is now quoting the Old Testament. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? My goodness, stubborn people, man. And who is my neighbor? I can just imagine the tone of voice this guy takes with Jesus. 
So it just baffles my mind when I hear all these stories in the New Testament and these, these Pharisees or these, these teachers of religious law or they ever come and they just, I, just I, can, I can feel the arrogance pouring off of the page. And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. Oh, here we go. The, the, the story sounds like it's getting better, right? A priest came along. Thank you, Jesus. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him. I like, I like that the temple assistant actually walks over and looks at him. I'm going to be honest for a second. How many have ever done this? Okay, because I have. How many have ever been driving and you see someone broken down on the road? And then you kind of look and you kind of assess the situation and you, you tell yourself, I think they're okay. <laughs> it, they have a cell phone in hand, okay, uh, and they're off to the side and I've got somewhere to be, okay? And then, you, and then by the way, I've totally done this. Lord, would you bless them with somebody? <laughs> totally done that. And then I drive on, right? And I feel, <laughs> I feel like I've done my duty for the day, right? I would imagine that this is where this temple guy was at, this, this temple teacher. He probably walked, ooh, that looks bad. I will make sure to tell somebody about that. Because I've done that. I've been that guy. I really, I, it's awful. Yes. It says, by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. He said, nope. Then a despised, by the way, these are Jesus' words. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt what? Passion. Felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. You notice he doesn't say the Samaritan. Remember, Jesus described him, the despised Samaritan. And the man didn't even have it in him to give him that, even that description. He said, the one, the one who showed mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. This story is rich. And to be honest with you, I feel like it falls a little flat in our culture. Because if anything, we have taken the term Samaritan to mean a really great thing, right? It's all over the news. Oh, a good Samaritan stopped on the side of the road. It was not Pastor Matthew, by the way. <laughs> he prayed that someone would stop on the side of the road. And he did. But we, we have completely lost the idea of, of what a Samaritan was to them, 
to a Jew, a Samaritan, they couldn't even say the word without spitting. They, the Jews, hated the Samaritan, okay? The Samaritans were a mixed race, right? They were part Jew, but they had also, in, in the, going back to kind of Old Testament law and things like that, they had intermarried with other cultures. And they had even kind of adopted their ways. And so uh, Samaritans were these people who, yeah, they, they believed in God, but they were also doing other things that other cultures and other religions would do. And Jews despised that. It just, and Jesus uses a Samaritan to be the main character of his story. That had to have just angered them. I wonder who, who that would be in our day and age. And I bet you, and I would just ask you, take the word Samaritan out. What could you put there? What character would you put in that you would say, oh man, that just gets my goat. That person? No way. So I kind of want to press on that a little bit today. This is the story of belief versus behavior. Okay, this is where we're going with this. This is a story of belief versus behavior. Jesus is trying to tell his audience that if you believe my, what my word says, then you will behave in a certain way that reflects who I am. It's one thing to just believe, right? It's one thing to, and really where I'm going, that it's one thing just to have the head knowledge. Well, Jesus says this, or the Old Testament says this, or the Bible says this. It's another thing to believe it so much that it is in your heart that it becomes behavior. Right? Do you see where I'm going with this? So how do we walk in love? How do we walk in love? Well, I want to start by kind of explaining something that may help. There's two categories of people who have impacted your life. Right? Two categories of people that have impacted your life. The first one is people who have hurt you. People who have hurt you. Right? I can see you. I'm seeing all your eyes. You're all mm-hmm. Right? In this story, there was the robbers, there was the priest, and there was the temple assistant. Now, the robbers physically hurt this man, but the priest and the temple assistant, they hurt him deeper. They hurt him in his very soul, because these were his kinsmen. These were his people, and they walked right by him. They're people who have hurt you. And because of that hurt, they have impacted your life. You now see the world a little differently because of what they have done to you. I grew up in a broken home. My parents divorced when I was seven years old. I only ever knew people leaving you. That's all I ever knew. I, my mom even remarried. And even my stepdad ended up leaving us, ended up even committing suicide and leaving this earth completely. And that's all I ever knew. I only ever knew people who left. I had been hurt. I had been wounded. And so because of that, I treated people that way. I kept people kind of at arm's length. I, I, I wanted to be friends with you, but I realized that at some point it was going to end. That's just, that was my experience. Have any, have any of you kind of had an experience like that, maybe in a different way? You don't have to have come from a broken home, but somebody hurt you, and because of that hurt, you now react that way. You now kind of live by that. The second category 
is people who have loved you, right? People who have loved you. Besides Christ, we can all say that Christ has loved us, and that is influence in our life. But I want you to think of somebody who has loved you like that, who has kind of gone beyond. Now, my story is God brought me an amazing wife. And in the beginning of our relationship, I held her kind of at arm's length because I believed that, you know what, this was too good to be true. It would end someday. And our dating was awful. (laughs) Now let me explain. (laughs) Not on her part, on my part. We would be together for a couple months. And then I would go back to that dark place in my life and I'd push her away. I'd break up with her. I'd tell her I can't do this. A month would go by, I'd miss her. We'd end up talking together and it just, but that cycle, it went on for a couple years. But you know what? She never, ever went away. As many times as I kept pushing her away and pushing her away and pushing her away. And finally, my mom, who loved her dearly, said, she is too good for you. And I'm going to say the clean version of what she told me. (laughs) She said, you either need to poop or get off the pot. (laughs) So I married her. (laughs) And 19 years later, we married, we have two kids, and I now know what it means to have somebody stay by your side through thick and thin, through pain, through agony, through dark times, through the good times. I've had somebody love me like that. Thank you. Yeah, amen. Number two, this belief to behavior thing. You know what? Belief says, do what I say, right? Do what I say. Jesus did not say a new commandment I give to you, believe correctly. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you believe correctly. He doesn't say that, right? Behavior says do what I do. Do what I do. Things are more caught than taught, right? Right? I didn't come up with that, but. Things are more caught than taught. If you want to see someone change, you can either hurt them deeply or you can love them profoundly. Right? Amen? It's not just what you believe, but how you treat them. You could believe a certain way, but they're going to judge you by your actions. So walking in love, what can we learn from the Samaritan? Well, first of all, love requires compassion, right? We need to be moved by compassion for things. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not always moved by compassion. There's some people that I look at them and I think, you deserve that. Yeah, you totally deserve that. But Jesus was always moved by compassion. He saw beyond, you know, their, uh, the outside. He saw beyond even their own sin that, yeah, they deserved that. He knew that they deserved that, but he came for so much more. He came to save them. He came to redeem them. They were moved by compassion. By compassion. I pray that our prayer for this entire church, this entire community, all the campus churches, I pray that we would always say, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. You heard that song? Break my heart for what breaks yours. Because it may be something that initially it doesn't. 
And I've been there before. But Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Let me see it. Let me see what breaks your heart and make it break mine. The second thing is love requires forgiveness. Let's be real. The Samaritan saw the Jew and something pinged in his heart, right? The Samaritan saw the Jew and thought, whoop, there's one of those Jews. But you know what he did? He immediately forgave him. He immediately forgave him of all the slanderous things his people had said about him. And he said, you know what? I forgive you and I'm gonna go help you. We need to forgive. Let's not forget how much we have been forgiven, you guys. When, we're, when we are kind of holding someone in judgment, I've done that, I've been there. When we're kind of holding that someone in judgment, man, you are dirty, you know, you're this and you're that, and you've done this and you Before we go there, remind yourself what God has done in your life. Remind yourself of how much God has forgiven you. Love requires forgiveness. Love requires action. Remember the Bible says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers as well. If we're gonna come and gather on a Sunday morning and we're gonna come and learn and we're gonna come and fellowship and we're gonna come and encourage each other, let that be because come Monday morning, there is a force out there, right? There is a group of warriors out there who are fighting the good fight. Let that be everything that we do on Sunday is because of what we're about to do on Monday. Amen? Amen? Love requires sacrifice. Love does require sacrifice, guys. Love does require kind of giving up your own way, your own ego. I've been married for almost 20 years. There's those times that it's not about me. There's those times that I just say, you know what? Yeah, as much as I would have liked to have gone seeing this movie, we're going to go see Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> For the 50th time. That's sacrificial love. <laughs> this is my last point. This is my last point. And I kind of want to, this, this one's going to sting a little bit. And, and I'm going to ask you, just like we're working out a muscle, that even though it may hurt in the beginning, I hope it builds us up. But we need to put aside prejudice. We do. We need to put them aside. In verse 33, it says, Then a despised Samaritan came. Remember this story. First, God's kingdom is multicultural. Matthew 29, 19 says, Therefore, make, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. Right? We all know that one. It's interesting. We quote it. We say it. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't say, I just want you to go to a particular people group. He said, I want you to go to all the nations, every single person. Now, kind of had this discussion with, with Pastor uh, Daniel this week. Southern California has is, is got a lot of culture, right? We got a lot of culture here. So it's not, we don't have to travel far. We don't have to go to the, all the nations. The, all the nations have come to us. But let me tell you what I see, okay? This is what I see. And, and if you just follow me and... and Please, I hope no one's going to throw anything at me. But we live in a community where we're all fine with everybody just kind of hanging out in their own area, right? I, I see it. I, I mean, I drive around. I grew up in Buena Park, like many of you did. 
I grew up in this area. I grew up in Southern California, like many of you did. And there is a lot of culture around here. But you know what I'm still seeing? I'm still seeing certain cultures only hanging out with certain cultures. And I'm not putting the blame on any one culture. It's something that we all, especially God's church, and I love the fact that Christ Community Church, there's something going on here. I don't know about you, but I can feel it. I don't know about you, but I've even seen it. I've even experienced it on Christmas Eve, right? We're kind of slowly kind of knocking down that wall. But I'm going to tell you this. It's going to have to start in, inside God's church. I don't mean inside the building. I mean it's going to have to start with us, the church, before the surrounding communities are going to catch wind. Oh, wow, the Koreans and Americans and Mexicans and, you know, Filipinos and and, and I mean, just the list can go on and on and on and on. That Wow, they're all hanging out together. What is going on? They like each other. They love each other. They're fellowship. They're breaking bread together. That's the kingdom, right? God's kingdom is multicultural. God's kingdom is multi-generational. Woohoo! You can't age out of God's kingdom. Woohoo! Matthew 19, 14. Boy, what? I had some coffee this morning. That's... <laughs> Matthew 19, 14 says, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children, right? So you can't be too young. Now, it, it, let me explain this because our culture doesn't understand this, but we have actually uh, gone to other countries and they do not believe that anybody under the age of 18 can be saved. They honestly believe you have to be an adult to understand, right? Jesus never said that. It's not in the Bible. In fact, Jesus explains right here what the kingdom of God is like, you'll like this one, Isaiah 47, 6. God saying through Isaiah, for I was angry with my chosen people and punished them by letting them fall into your hands. He says, but you, Babylon, you showed them no mercy. He says this, you even oppressed even the elderly. Listen, God loves every age group. God has a plan for every age group. I went to the Philippines, and let me tell you something, our culture has something to learn. In the Philippines, it's still very much a uh, patriarchal and matriarchal culture, okay? When we would go into a room in the Philippines, the seats of honors were the wise, the older, right, the older generations. Those were the seats of honor sat, and everybody else, as you got younger and younger and younger, we've kind of lost that. But the kingdom of God, you guys, is multicultural. We need each other. We need the older generation pouring into the younger generation, and we need that younger generation's youth and zeal and fire and all. I mean, it's, it's, it should be this beautiful soup, right? Are you laughing at me? God's kingdom, boy, I'm going to hear it after this service. <laughs> God's kingdom is multi-denominational. It really... To be honest with you, I'm going to go even further than that. God's kingdom has no denomination, right? We've created denomination. And I'm going to be very honest with you. In my, in my younger years and especially in my early years of ministry, I kind of thought our denomination was the one, right? We were the chosen denomination. I was wrong. As I got older, I realized, no, we're broken too. We've got broken people. 
We've, we've got areas that are fractured. We've got areas, I, I mean, I still love the denomination that I'm in. I'm not, I don't mean to, but what I'm saying is, is there isn't just the one denomination to rule them all. Thank you, Chuck. Chuck got my reference there. <laughs> Last point. God's kingdom is full of sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Listen, there is nobody in here who is better than anybody else. We are all sinners. You guys, where I'm trying to go with this, I want to be a church that looks radically different than what the world perceives as right? The world perceives the church as cold, a set of rules and standards that you got to live by, and if you don't live by those rules, you're kicked out of the club. We have an opportunity. The church is not dead, okay? The church is not dead because Jesus is the head of the church, right? He is the head. We are his church, and I believe that if we love like this, we will see this place so full of people because they want it, right? They not only want it, they need it. It's life-sustaining, that kind of love. Someone to love them unconditionally. Someone to love them not based on their heritage, their culture, how they talk, how they look, or maybe even how they, they worship. The people just to simply love because that is how they will know, right? That is how they will know that we are Christ's followers is how we love. Amen? Amen. Can I pray? And worship team, you guys can come on up. We're going to get ready for communion next, but let me just pray. Father God, help us. Help us to love as you have loved. Lord, there is a world to win. There is a job to do. Holy Spirit, we need you. So show us the areas where maybe we've had a little prejudice. Show us the areas where we have been unforgiving. Show us the areas where maybe we've judged. Lord, help us to stop more, get out of our cars, help that person, because maybe we were the prayer. Maybe we were the answered prayer in their life. Holy Spirit, equip us in Jesus' name, amen. Good timing, Pastor Matt. That's great. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Pastor Matthew. That was awesome. Really coming to love this brother. He's he's a blessing. He really is. It's uh, it's such a blessing to be together, isn't it? This is a, a wonderful thing. You know, the community, as we've been talking about love, they're looking for a place who will love them. They're looking for a community who will love them. And it's, it's too bad, but often people look at the church and they say, people in the church don't even get along with each other. So why would they love me? Because I'm on the outside. If they can't even love each other on the inside. And it is our witness that is such a big part of communion. And it's how we love each other 
that other people will see, well, maybe they will love me. Maybe they will accept me. And it's about getting people in our communities to belong before we ask them to believe, before we ask them to behave. And too often as the church, we've been saying, hey, you got, if you want to come in here, if you want to belong here, then you have to behave like we do, like we do, right? You have to, to kind of look like us. You kind of have to act like us. You have to believe like us, and then you can belong. And it's just the opposite in the kingdom. Jesus, why we're still sinners, he died for us. You belong to me. I, you are my children. I'm going to do everything to bring you close so that you can believe and then you can behave. So as we're going into communion, I want to see what Paul is saying about this too. Something that Jesus passed on to him. This is what was going on uh, in the early church uh, with the Lord's Supper, with communion. First uh, Corinthians 11, verse 17. In the following directives, he says, I have no praise for you. For your, your meetings do more harm than good. Ouch. Your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval, but when you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So what was going on there that they were eating in an unworthy manner? It was this, that some of the wealthier people were coming beforehand and having a special little feast of caviar and some of their delicacies and not saving anything for the people who would come later who had nothing. And it made them feel small, little, apart, separate. That is not the Lord's table. The Lord's table is where everyone feels welcome. Everyone feels equal before the throne of grace. Nobody, because of their ethnicity, because of their gender, because of their social standing, because of their past, because of their present, has to feel small in a community that loves Jesus because God's love is poured out on all of us. It's a place where we come to the table as equals, where the world can see that people can come together from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different socioeconomic statuses and say, in Jesus, we are one. I want to challenge each one of you, because that's what Paul is saying here, to examine one of ourselves. What are the things that we hang on to as our preferences and maybe our way of doing things above unity? What are those things that we say, no, 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 I'm, I'm hanging on to, to this, but maybe it would feel like 
It may make somebody else feel small or, or not included, whatever it might be. And some of those things sneak up on us, and so we have to be thinking and mindful and truly examining ourselves and say, what do we need to lay down at the cross so that the Lord's table can be experienced by everyone and everyone can experience the Lord's table as truly grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus is not talking about a wood table here. When he's talking about the Lord's Supper, the table, he's talking about a gathering of grace. You know that in Hebrew, the word table is shulhan, and it actually means gathering grace. Gathering grace. That's why we're here today, gathering together. That's why we have these elements that remind us of the grace of Jesus and that are the great equalizers, that we all come before him, sinners and broken before him, but fully redeemed by his body, by his blood. And that when we accept his broken body, that was broken for you and I. Say, yes, Jesus, break us too. Break our opinions. Break our preferences. Break all those things that aren't aligned with you. Break those so that you can make us whole in who you are. That that becomes our identity. Not our ethnicity, which we value. Not our gender, which we value. Not our socioeconomic status or anything like that, which we still value. But we value Jesus above everything. And we're made whole in him, and our identity is whole in him together. And so we are taking the Lord's body and we're eating it and saying, We will, we want you to take you in, Jesus. Everything that that stands for, everything you stand for, we want to take you in. We want to believe that your brokenness is reason for us to be whole, and that your blood said, This is my blood shed for you. New covenant, a new promise. That all your sins are removed and are taken away from you. So now you are white as That we drink this, remembering and believing that that was done. Not just in us individually, but in us as a community. So I'm going to ask the elders to come forward at this time. And what we're going to do is that we're going to come forward on each side right here and take uh, the bread and take the juice and then take it back to your seat. And then when everybody has it and everybody's seated again, then we're going to uh, partake of it together. Okay? So everything is ready. The table is open. Please come and experience this blessing.
Christ, we are one church. Take this remembering and celebrating, believing. Father, we give you praise and all the glory. We thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us, and that by your death, we can have life. By your brokenness, we can be whole. And by your forgiveness, we can forgive each other. Lord, we pray that all of the differences that, that we can celebrate, that they don't become things that divide us. That in you, Jesus, by your spirit, you knit us together in that celebration of diversity. And that the world can see the witness that we have, that we love you above all things, about all of our preferences. And that we are redeemed and that we are made new in you. And that our identity is one in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross. Thanks for the power of the resurrection in which we live. We thank you. That your Holy Spirit never leave us or forsake us. He'll be with us as we proclaim your word everywhere we go.